This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42 are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. and now at LCBO stores all across Ontario. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband, Shane. We are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on This Family Tree Podcast, episode 132. And we could be in L.A. right now, but... Instead, we're recording. We'll get to that late reason later, though. Uh, but we have an amazing episode for you tonight. We have back joining us Brooke and Bridget, otherwise known as the Speech Sisters. And they are speech pathologists and sisters, and they are absolutely wonderful and full of knowledge. They sit down with me as I pick their brains about Betty. Who's your favorite sister, Brooke or Bridget? I can't divulge that on the... No, I'm just... They're like the one in the same. They are very much a duo. Their dog actually ended up joining us for a bit of the podcast, which was kind of funny. You Sounds will hear him. pretty rough. <laughs> but it was a great... It was a great interview. Um, Betty, as I'll get into, is behind speaking where Lucy was at this age. Who said that? Brooke or Bridget? Me. Oh, that's and fine, you, then. we were sharing videos of Lucy the other night and saying how advanced she was compared to Betty. Yeah. In that but, regard, you know? But you know what? Lou is terrible at sports and ath- and Betty is athletic. Oh, hey, they've got they've got their talents, but Brooke and Bridget were helping me out with some strategies to encourage Betty to talk. We were talking about different milestones, you know, rough milestones Woof. that kids should be hitting. And it was really great. I hope you guys get as much from it as I did. But Shane, cheers. We went fancy tonight, babe. I did your old favorite seed lip non-alcoholic spice 94 coconella it is that <sighs> fancy coconutty tropical drink finally doing something for me that i like Get thanks out Alex. Of here what you don't do things i like a lot that's baloney did i not give you a huge like head and hair extravaganza the other night can you not tell that i'm kidding i've been making bark and dog joke humor i'm in a comedic mood I, I do want to ask you about that. How are you liking, like you've only had it once, but did you like the hair treatment? Well, it didn't make my hair look good. If that's the plan, my hair did not look good the next day. After you washed it? No. What did it look like? Bad. <laughs> I had to wear a hat and we were going to a function. I'm not, a, I'll admit, I'm not a Catholic school person. I come from a public school, a little bit more easygoing with dress codes and things. Things like that. So if someone said, hey, you're going to Riddell, which is my elementary school, mm-hmm. their 100th anniversary, and I was bringing you, 
I wouldn't tell you to dress up or anything because it would probably be just a normal wear whatever you want sort of deal. So when you told me that Sacred Heart was having a 100th party to celebrate, I wore a hat on my head because my hair looked so terrible from the oil treatment. But I didn't know people were dressed up like it was, I don't know, Liberace's funeral. (laughs) Not all of them. Some of them. You looked great. But wait, I want to get into this because so I gave you my hair got fried during my last hair appointment, right? Like they burned it off. It was brutal. So I got this oil, scalp oil, and I've been doing that and like rubbing it in my scalp, sleeping with it and then showering it out the next day. And you have the show coming up. So I was thinking that it would be really good for your hair and like give you like the silkiest hair for the show. Keep the treatment going. It might help. I find my hair is best maybe two days out of a wash. Yeah, The day I wash it, it's the worst. And this, somehow it looked even worse. Did it feel better? No. But maybe it's ultimately for the best. It's got to be. It's got to be. Yes. It's like good for scalp and everything. I'm excited to see if you notice a difference and if I notice a difference even in the end. But what did you think of that church event, by the way? I liked it. It was way too long, obviously. Oh my gosh. But that was kind of its charm. I don't do that often. I like observing people. It was fun. The kids were well-behaved. There was wine. That's another thing I forget about <laughs> churchy stuff because I, I associate alcohol with bad, but in church with good, but church people, I forget, love alcohol. Catholics do. Yeah. Like not Mormons and stuff, but Catholics love wine. It's a sacrament. Like they, it's, it's important. The event went from like 11 a.m. till 3 p.m. <laughs> it was, and we left early too. Yeah, we, we had snuck to sneak out. out. Okay. So the food was great, right? Which is why we stayed for as long as we did. But it was really funny because, you know, like, They're doing all these things, talking about the church. They have a little church cookbook with uh, tried and true recipes, they said, that have been been passed throughout the congregation for 100 years. And and then, But he broke it down after that. He was like, I I get it. Everyone has a cookbook, but this one has special prayers in it. And everyone was like, ooh, murmuring. (laughs) get that. Everybody bought it for $10.99 after. Like the bishop was there and he said a couple prayers, which is a really special thing to have the bishop there. But then it was really funny as we're eating dessert, they just start going through the crowd and people are sharing their favorite moments of the church. But these aren't professional speakers. These are 95-year-old grandmas who want to talk for 45 minutes about when little Sally was baptized there in 1943. And they were on what, like story number five when we Some left? of them were pretty comedic. Like... <laughs> These people, they they didn't they don't have time to test on the road the material. So some things bombed. Like the one person was talking about how they used to get beat. I didn't like, hear that. I'm paraphrasing here, but it was like Sister Mary used to beat me, so I didn't like going back to see her the next morning. Dead silence. I'm like, this man's in trouble. And then he next line was a total zinger that killed. It was like he's back, baby. Gotta love Catholicism. Yeah. So it, it was fun time. Thank you for inviting me. The food was great. The dessert was awesome. Oh, it was so good. And yeah, just good good story time. No, it was. It was fun. And, you know, off the top, Shane mentioned that, hey, we could have been doing this from LA right now. Actually, just you. I wasn't invited. But I I invited you. I'm not, I'm not going to pay money unless they're going to pay me. Just tell the story of why. All right. So anyway, if you follow us on TikTok... 
you would have seen as what 3.5 million people have right now are Amber Heard and Johnny Depp TikTok. But it's an Amber Heard and Johnny Depp TikTok in the sense that it is actually like the way it was written about in the news a lot. But one news company said that we were trolling the court of public opinion. So yeah. our TikTok was about how the public is reacting to Heard in depth throughout the duration of this court case. And it went viral. It did really well. And then I got a message in my DMs, but it was like in that weird DM box with people who you aren't friends with. Yeah, special requests. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, hey, do you want to make a viral video with me as Amber Heard? And I'm just like, haha, that's funny. And I just left it. And then two days later, I get another message, same guy. And he's like, hey, I'm serious. You want to make a viral video with me as Amber Heard? I don't answer because now he seems kind of crazy. But then he started writing on my like my main post, check your DMs. So it's like, all right, I'm going to message this guy back. Turns out this guy is like a semi-famous YouTuber and he's friends with a really famous YouTuber, like a 16 million people follow him type guy. And he offers me $3,000 plus airfare to come out to LA. We're talking to him. Shane and I are talking to him on Friday night. And he goes, what if we get an airline ticket for you Saturday morning, get you to LA by Saturday evening, shoot on Sunday, send you back home so you can go back to work on Monday? Like, Did you say how much he was going to offer you? Yeah, $3,000. US. US. For Canadians, that's a big deal. That sounds like almost five. So what did you think? Because it, I was having a hard time, even though I looked him up and like saw, okay, like he's kind of legit. I was still having a hard time thinking that people have this much FU money. Well, these videos, they generate a lot of income. And to, because through YouTube, they have mm. things and ads that can add up. And if you get ads that, or sorry, if you get enough views, like my friend Matt Onsworth, who I work with, he did one video that ended up with 15 million views on YouTube. And I think he generated between three and $10,000 from it. That's pretty good. Yeah. So let's say these guys have high hopes for this video because there was a Justin Bieber video where he eats a, a lookalike of Justin Bieber, eats a burrito incorrectly. And they took photos of it and did a behind the scenes video and it went viral. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to emulate this other video copy the same structure, but with Amber Heard drinking a mega pint of wine on a bench mm -hmm. and the idea is she's either sad that she lost the case or she's sad because the court system has failed her and she's so she's drinking a, a mega pint um but if it got 20 million views or something they, they'd make a pretty penny and when you're young like this person's probably like 22 23 mm -hmm. you think everything's gonna go viral everything's gonna work out and i was young and ambitious and <laughs> reckless at one time and willing to throw money at things just for a chance like well yeah if it, it seems crazy i we're not on youtube like i don't know how youtube money works but it did seem nuts. So Shane and I were trying to vet him over the phone because he was like really nice and just like you said, like young and full of hope. You know, that spark that only like fresh out of high school and college university age kids had where it's like they feel like they can change the world and they know nothing of significant work related failure. Right. Yeah. And it's like they're so bright eyed and bushy tailed. It's really nice. And but you think <laughs> if you go really viral, <laughs> yeah. it's going to 
do change your life or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was his vibe and he was so nice. But then we start kind of digging. Well, we're talking to him on the phone. And we're like, okay, so the, the angle that you're going to have on the video, because Shane and I don't want to take a side for the court case. We think every the whole situation is kind of heinous and we, we just don't want to take a specific side because there's so many problems with both of the people involved. And this guy's like, oh, no, no, not taking a side, just simply pretending you're Amber Heard drinking a make a pint of wine at a cafe in, in L.A. And I'm like, well, this sounds like this guy's like, that sounds kind of cool. Three thousand dollars, not including my airfare and my hotel. And then I get to go and just drink some wine on a bench. We checked out his Twitter Ugh. and it was all pro Johnny and so bashing Amber. It's like, I'm so glad the justice system proved that Amber's a you know expletive awful. and all this. And his banner on his Twitter said, <laughs> if you want your dick to grow five inches, click this. And it was the subscribe button implying, I guess, only men follow him, obviously, <laughs> too. So it just was something that would blow up in our face. You would do the video and then you'd get a bunch of negative yeah. press. Ethically, so. we couldn't do it. Um, but I'm kind of happy we didn't because we had a nice weekend at home. And now we just get to talk about the fact that this kid offered us that. Yeah, it's a story. It's a story. But I have another story I want to mm. share. Not not a personal one. I've got one too after you, a personal one. Okay. So well, you go you go with yours first. Mine's more educational. Okay. I wish there was an audience here because I would poll them. If your significant other took a, what's the nicest way to say this, dump, would they? Shane. What? What? It happens in a relationship. This is, I think this Who's is. Who's dumping in this hypothetical story? You or me? I don't know. Either either person. Okay. In this situation. Okay. Would you leave the door open or close the door with the fan on? What do you think is a better thing to do i'm gonna pull this on my instagram by the way yeah because i say if you're at a cottage you just have to leave the door open because there's people like a bunch of friends and things that you don't that you don't know and if the door is closed it might infer that someone's in there so then they're mm -hmm. like oh is someone in here or not but i think in your own house you can close the door keep the terrible stench that <laughs> was hypothetically coming out of their contained and the fan will suck it up. And then after, you know, two to five minutes, kick that door open. Okay, hold on, because I think this is flawed. I think you would leave the door open so that the horrible stench can dissipate throughout the house in small quantities in every room. So it's like, hmm, maybe something's off, but it's nothing too much that your alarm bells are going to Well, this has hypothetically happened a few times and comes out into every room with like such like fury and it's <laughs> with fury hard and fast what i don't know the definition of fury like vin diesel yes too <laughs> too much fart smell too furious and it goes it's it's just really bad well what would you rather would you wait listen would you rather sitting in your office and just get a little bit of a vinny diesel-y whiff in there or would you rather go unsuspecting into the washroom, barging in because you got to pee, and then you just get hit with the full smell. No, do you know what? Because I was thinking maybe I'm wrong. This was a genuine inquiry. I right? always had thought if you're in the home with someone else, close the door, keep the fan on, then kick the door open after a couple minutes. So I suggested you do that. Then you you were offended or, or hypothetically. Someone was, uh, <laughs> whatever. Okay, it was you. Um, so I did it. 
turn the fan on, close yeah. the door. I had to go back in there in two minutes to get a Band-Aid or do something mm-hmm. and take a pee. And it was fine. It was like it never happened. Of course, Shane, because you don't smell your own like it's somebody else's. When I did the time- It wasn't time, my own. It was yours. I thought you said when you did it, you, you closed the door. You as in you. The person, <laughs> the woman I'm pointing at. Your horrible smell was gone after two minutes. Well, I'm did telling you, you that did should you be look the new that up? I haven't looked it up. I'm I'm putting it out to the audience. And, I, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, poo-poo humor. This is a real thing. Well, there needs to be a good solution here because I am against, we as a family are against any poo sprays. Like we have even a nice one from Sage. And all it does, and oh my gosh, the worst ones they have at my work, they have that spray Febreze. So people take a poo and then they get so embarrassed, right? Because they're at work. So they just cover the room the, with it. The poo spray smells worse than the oh. Oh, in some cases. And then all of a sudden, it's like how when I grew up, everyone loved orange juice and vodka. Yeah. So now when I drink orange Ugh. juice, it still somehow tastes like vodka. Disgusting. The poo spray smells like poo. And what, okay, this is good tie-in. Mm-hmm. So your mom comes to look after the kids and, yeah. uh, on days, like all, two, three days a week, your mom's here looking after the children. You had done one of these poo, <laughs> poo things that I'm talking about. Uh, before you left, so you leave. Thing. You leave for work. I'm mm-hmm. working from home. Your mom comes in. The house just smells bad, and I'm starting to feel embarrassed, and I'm cringing, <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I just I should make a joke of it or something. And say it wasn't me; it was Alex. I say, ah, forget it. I'm just going to just hope this dissipates. Mm-hmm. I go in my office, and then all of a sudden, I smell the poopy gun smell. Oh no, that poo spray. And I'm like, oh, Lorna thinks I did that. You stingy boy. And so she's doing that. And it just made me so embarrassed. And then I'm like, this whole house smells like poop now. The poop spray is worse to me. So that, yeah. You know why it is so? And I think it's the same. Because you didn't close the door and put the fan on. Well, no, but I I think why the poop spray is worse is, and I, I find this at work, is because like at work they have Febreze. So people just go crazy with the Febreze. And I think that like the poop particles or the smell yes. particles and the Febreze particles attach. And yes. Febreze is meant to stay in and the air for a long time. It. Yeah. Yes. It's true. That is true. I uh, I didn't read an article, but I had heard something about how those poo sprays do not work for yeah. for a reason like that. Ah. Yeah, and it's right. just like a floral stink. It's disgusting. I think the only solution... Is either leaving the door open and letting it dissipate or... It doesn't dissipate with you. Lighting a match. Because yep. I like the mm-hmm. lighting a match. It helps. And then the the burning smell is more pleasant it's than the, anything It is else. the most pleasant smell. I was I was reading or hearing something about how the burning of the match does the same thing as the Febreze. But in practice, it works the best. It works way better. Yeah. But if someone's listening, please tell Lorna that it was not me who made that smell. <laughs> Have you ever had to do a stinky one at work or somewhere public where you just, you had to? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have. Can we change topic, Alex? Yeah, yeah. No, of course. I'm just always interested in how people cover it up or or try to be done with it quickly. Because I have a method and I'm curious if other people have methods. Yeah, because I noticed you're very confident in going like really quick until I go in the bathroom pretending it didn't happen and it's a faint smell but it's still there but you think it's not because you think you're being sneaky no but here I'm not being sneaky what's your method I've well 
I know there have been some sneaky methods. Yeah, but I don't do it like if I'm out. I feel like you do it here though. No, I don't. Not this method. What is it? So this is only reserved for when you're out in public. Oh, wait. Can I Tried guess? Tried and true. You flush the second it plops. Close. Okay. So <laughs> I flush as it is on its way to the plop okay so i flush yeah, before I mean. no before it even hits the water that's I what flush. i meant so then by the time the water is getting suctioned down the tube it goes with it and yeah. then i give it another one after after it's all done yeah you've done that here before no okay just saying it works okay guys don't really care maybe maybe just me and other people i know who are guys don't care maybe some guys do care but usually you're just in a a row of stalls and the idea is we're all pooping in here because men also have urinals, right? <laughs> I was going to ask about that. So since men have urinals, it's obvious what you're doing in there. So there's no attempt to hide it because the jig is up. I think with women, you can pee or poop and mm. you want to pretend you only pee. So that's why men are more open and carefree about it. It's like, here's the area that's always going to smell like shit. So let's just not care. Do you think that takes some of the stigma away? Stinkma? <laughs> Pardon? This this conversation is fascinating. I'm sorry for yeah. staying on. Fascinating so might be an exaggeration. <laughs> okay. It's a conversation. So, um, yeah. a follower was recently messaging me about Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard and how they went about explaining sex to their kids, their school aged kids who asked about it. And it just had such a great message and undertone that I wanted to go over that and share it just because I think it is. It's a really great way to kind of conceptualize everything. When anybody, any adult, like not friend, but a teacher, a parent, an adult in your life, tried to explain it, how did they first, do you remember how they first explained it to you? Just a babysitter. I was at their place once and they put in a video, like a cartoon video explaining sex and it was like the cartoons had sex in it. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, it was an educational video, but that's the only time an adult had even attempted to talk mm -hmm. about sex with me my parents have never mentioned sex once or kissing or, or kissing yeah even i love you <laughs> shane's gonna take you, five to cry right now <laughs> okay so dax was on he was on a podcast with i think some rachel bilson yeah from the oc and they were chatting about this because she's got kids too with our buddy doesn't she hayden christensen yeah yeah close personal friend who we pranked and uh, <laughs> we prank uh you can search that on ebombs world got lots of views and lots of hate uh but anyway one person liked it one person Kristen, when her kids asked her what is sex and again they're school age and you know, whenever you approach something like this, it's always good to approach it with just how we old get your kids it, are. Alex. Let's just hear the I'm advice. This is the longest buildup in pod history. No, it's it's not it's not a huge deal. But she says instead of what you normally hear, where okay, the man puts his penis in the woman's vagina, right? And that's how a baby's made because they're they're talking about how babies are made. Oh, does she say the vagina goes in the penis? She says the woman puts the man's penis in her vagina. Hmm. So that is just. In the first, most basic way that your kids hear it, there's consent built in. The woman is in control of her body. She decides what goes in it. And 
it's not talked about. You don't have to elaborate on the consent at that point, but just with the most basic understanding of how babies are made and what makes a baby, the woman puts the man's penis in her vagina. Smart move. I know. I know. And I wanted to share that because I thought that was so great because in any book, any teacher, any parent, any adult that I've ever known, nobody has described it that way. And even as a parent, like I find that with parenting, you do so much planning and so much forethought. But then when you're put in the moment with something, that all kind of goes to shit and you're just winging it right? Because you get nervous or you stumble on your words. You can't think of that perfect thing to say so much. And I'm really going to try to internalize that for when the time comes because I think it's really smart. Yeah. Internalize just meaning you're going to remember it. Yeah. 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 I just really want to have that with me because I find I stumble a lot in parenting and I don't say the things that I plan on saying or like react Mm -hmm. the way that I plan on reacting. You're like the Macy Gray of parenting. I try to walk away, but I trip. But, it, but I trip. <laughs> Why did I say trip? I'm tripping. I try to walk away, but I stumble. Yeah, Though now I you try know to it. Hide it. It's clear. Alex. What? <laughs> that, that, that voice is like. Did that not sound like Macy Gray? It did. Too much. Oh, thank you. I've been practicing. I've been waiting for this moment <laughs> every week. I uh, love that song, by the way. It's good. No, it it's a, a good second. hit. Okay, Shane, I want to talk about this week, this past week, and we're going to end our opening here. What is one thing that I did that annoyed you? And what is one thing that I did that made you fall more in love with me? I th- Well, we discussed the annoying thing. What? Disgust being the oh. operative word. Get it? Disgust? Yeah. Because I was I disgusted. It. Yeah, um, yeah, whatever. Okay. And the thing that you did that was good, okay, that made me happy? Mm-hmm. That's, that would be good. Okay, this I might need to take a break to think <laughs> about this. Um, no, you no, do a lot of laughing. things all the time that make me happy. <laughs> you do. What? I'm serious. You're um, taking a bit. Shane. Well, because there's so many happy things, and the little things are big things, but the mm. little things aren't necessarily memorable, but they mean a lot in the moment. But you don't necessarily serve it, internalize it. Right. As right. Okay. What did you? Oh, do you know what the the hair rubbing thing? So the hair, even though you said it made your hair look bad, oh, but the process of it is so enjoyable. There could have been no oil in there. That could have been water, a total placebo effect. The act of that is very enjoyable. I love someone touching my head, and doing that for that prolonged period, I felt very good. Yeah, it gave you like a forty minute oil. Yeah, head that's massage. the best thing. Yes, that thing. That was good. Thank you. Uh, so mine for you, the thing that you did that I really loved, mm-hmm. we were kind of just feeling down one night. We were. And you have you have a knack for just getting great snacks when we both feel like we need snacks, even though we don't talk about it. You ordered some blizzards to the house. Felt amazing. Oh, yeah. We watched the George Carlin doc. Yes. Which highly recommend that. It was amazing. The doc started out like, okay. And then it's just, it's a three, it's a two-part doc, but from... Like 40 minutes into the rest of it. It's just so good. Yeah, it was really good. And Blizzard was great too. The thing that you did that really annoyed me and made me question everything that we built our marriage oh, on. Oh, we're done the good part. Yeah. Okay. Um, What do you call a treat that you make with marshmallows and chocolate and graham crackers over a campfire? I know this and you've always hated this. It's a s'more. I'd say shmore. Shmore. 
As, Sorry, can you can you repeat that close in the mic so people can hear it's this abomination? A s'more. I do it as a joke. I call them schmores. <laughs> Is joke. it a joke? Kind of. I feel like it's not a joke, but you're turning it into a joke because it's ridiculous. Well, if it's not a joke, then how come I know the correct pronunciation? And I know it annoys you a lot. Schmore. You yes. said that at Tim Hortons. I know that. All right. Because they had a schmore donut. <laughs> Sometimes it does come out accidentally, but I do like to do it as a like, hey, let's get some s'mores. Yeah, well, if you're not doing the Sean Connery voice and you just say the s'more part, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I don't know how much of a joke. Who showed you their abs during the MMVAs, which made me extremely jealous and something I would say is against you for not being nice? Uh, Shamarmore? Shamarmore. Shamar Moore was hitting on my wife. What's his What's his big uh, film? What's his big show? He's in a cop show. SWAT. I wouldn't say SWAT. it's big, but it's, you know, it's comfort food for a lot of people who just have cable. But he's known for soap operas. One of those shows like The Young and the Restless. Oh, okay. Because I didn't know what he was That's from. That's his claim to fame. He was also with Halle Berry. I think they might have even been engaged. They were. Yeah. They were together for a while. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Shamar Moore. Uh, Shmore, but Shane, let's get to it. Let's get to our interview with Brooke and Bridget. But before we do that, let's tell everyone who we're supported by. We're supported by Mini Miosh, a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Well said. I could have said it better myself. <laughs> well, you know what? I was debating because I usually say kids and babies clothing company founded in Toronto, but now they also have a women's line. What? I know. It's the M and West collection. Everything is simple, quality. It's French terry. It's still ethically made and sustainable. And it's like, it's really nice. So how do I go about describing the company now? Well, can you tell me what the difference between French terry and regular terry is? Well, regular terry is like a towel. Teddy. French <laughs> French terry is absolutely lovely. But what we've always loved about Mini Miosh is that they believe in quality over quantity and they have been for years making the best basics for our littles. I'm talking fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. Plus, their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. Mini Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it, and they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and the US, and it is a one-time use per customer. So load up your cart. Again, that is minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. Well, we are also supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best bras you can get your hands on. Yes, they do. <laughs> Shane, which ones do you like better, the everyday collection or the nursing? As long, well, they're both comfortable. They are both So I hear. <laughs> so I got into the nursing bras at Shane's Buy. He came home with a Bravado Designs nursing bra for me one day. And I never looked back. It was the only thing that kept my chafed nipples comfortable. And you know how I feel about chafed nipples. Don't like them. Don't like them. I don't know a person who's ever liked them. I know someone who licked them. The baby? <laughs> <laughs> the baby? <laughs> 
But Bravado Designs not only creates, you know, the nursing bras we've all fallen in love with because they are soft, they're comfortable, they're buttery, and they're so practical and easy to use, but they now have an everyday collection. So these are bras that look amazing under a t-shirt. They don't have clips. They're not just for nursing mothers, and they are so wearable. How do they look over a t-shirt, though? Over, now that is a look. It's a statement. Yeah, I feel like Madonna could pull it off. Madonna, Bravado Designs, reach out to Madonna. See if she'll wear one of your bras over the shirt. Yeah, she is acting a little strange lately. Yeah, maybe give it to Miley. She, she could do it. <laughs> but you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection. These are the ones with no clips at ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code ThisFamilyTree20 for 20% off. That is a huge bang for your buck. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and ThisFamilyTree20. And now let's get to our interview with the Speech Sisters. Hey, girls. How's it going? Hi. Good. How are you? I'm so good. Guys, I just worked out for the first time in like two months. So I feel like death and good at the same time. It's a weird combo. <laughs> I totally get that. I, I worked out. Thing. Yeah, I, I worked out this morning for the first time in like three weeks, and I felt like I might die, but yes. then I felt so good. Yeah. Well, so I, you know, the whole family had COVID. Get this: we had COVID twice in a month and a half. No, didn't know it was possible. So I just like didn't do anything for a long time. Because I felt winded, but so it was like my first time kind of getting back into it. But it's it, it's been hell. No <laughs> way. Yeah, no it's been nuts. Way. Two different variants. They said. <gasps> mm-hmm. It's unlucky. Yeah, I've had it twice as well. Have you? And, yeah, and I've been vaccinated but, and boosted, and I still gotten it, and it's like so frustrating. I know. I know Were you is. guys? Were you really sick or? Yeah, they gave me that antiviral, like um, Paxlovid. So that okay. that helped me a lot. Um, but my baby was really sick, like the youngest. Oh. She she got oh. hit the worst both times, I think. Oh, but I know. What were her What were her symptoms? High fever, just mm-hmm. crying nonstop. Like second she woke yeah. up, second she went to bed, crying, only breastfeeding, but insanely snotty nose. And because, uh-huh. and we're going to talk about this, but because she can't speak, I, I was just guessing at things. I was guessing at headaches. It seemed yeah, like yeah. she had headaches, which has okay. got to be so confusing if you're a kid. Totally. I, to- yes. Yes. But I think it is common with COVID in, yeah. you know, in children too, to get headaches. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, hey, brighter oh. times ahead. We're going to St. Martin in a couple of weeks, guys. So I'm just looking forward, hence why I'm getting on the Peloton. But <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that sounds so good. But that's it is so, so nice to see you guys again. And I am really excited to get chatting because I spoke to you about a year and a half ago when Betty, my youngest, was eight months. And she is just about to, she's about to turn two. Okay. And I remember I was going through my notes. I have them here. I was going through them and it said, babbling. She's a late babbler. When should I worry about her babbling abilities? And I, I've i been trying to do so many things. And we're going to kind of use her as a case study for this conversation. Okay. But she's progressed in some ways, but not in a lot. Anyway, I want to start with who you guys are. Give me a little intro for our new listeners. 
All right. So we are Brooke. I'm Bridget. And we are the Speech Sisters. And we really are sisters. Um, and we're moms and speech pathologists. We have five kids between the two of us. We run a private practice, a speech therapy private practice here in California. And we specialize in early intervention, specifically coaching parents of late talkers and any other early intervention need. And basically wanted to take our teachings that we do with parents and all of that parent education and bring it to a digital platform to be able to reach more families and more households across the globe. Yeah. Which is so helpful. And that's how I feel like every every mom I know anyways is consuming information that way. Like we're consuming solid parent advice from TikTok, from Instagram, and it's just the new medium because you get it in little bite-sized portions it's so helpful. And one thing you said, you specialize in early intervention. What qualifies as early intervention? Is there an age limit? There is. So early intervention is considered birth to the age of three. Okay. Um, so it is that time period um, between there. So with babies and toddlers, and it really is just such an important time in a child's development mm-hmm. because a child's brain grows the most in the first three years of life. So if a child has a deficit in any area, you really want to get in there and and get started on the process of helping that area by the age of three. And where are kids getting the majority of this from? Is it like if they're in daycare, is it daycare or is it at home? Or like where, where do they get the majority of, I'd say, because, you know, maybe they're at home the most, but where do they get the best modeling for speech? Yeah, really at home, our whole thing is teaching parents and caregivers how to implement very simple, easy techniques into their everyday routines. So things that you are already doing with your child, and we like to do it in a very natural, easy way. A lot of our teachings in our courses, we use acronyms. So you can kind of just go through and you're like, okay, I remember this acronym. And you can use those secrets like and tips and tricks while you're bathing your child, while you're feeding your child, getting them dressed, all of those things that you are going to do anyways. And eventually and pretty quickly, they become very natural to mm-hmm. implement. You don't even need to overthink it. It's just the way that you start inter- uh, interacting with your child. It's like the new way to interact with them. And it really so beneficial. If a baby or a toddler is in daycare full time and, you know, not at home with a parent, that's okay too, because more than likely they're getting their daycare is a language rich environment. But then when they come home, it's even more important to create a language language rich environment with, you know, the parents at home. And like Bridget said, during those everyday routines that you are doing, whether you are staying home with your child or you're going to work, like you are feeding them, you are putting them to bed, you are getting them in and out of a car. Like those are the times that we really want to um, focus in on and build language during those times. I remember reading like when my first Lucy, when she was a baby, I remember reading about the importance of just talking to them. Like no, no matter what you're doing, like, okay, right now I'm cooking dinner and I'm cutting up the cauliflower and just saying things when they're like little and they're not going to understand you. They're so far from understanding you, but why is it important to do that? 
I mean, the more language your child hears, the more they're going to absorb. We say, talk to your baby. I mean, that's probably our and toddler. That's our number one tip, but it is also about the way that you talk to them. So there's a specific manner in which to speak to them. And it's about talking to them, but in a simplified manner, keeping things short and sweet and speaking in, you know, a slow speaking style. So you're not spitting too many words at them at once where it goes over their head. So just kind of, you know, you can say like, I'm cooking, you know, and then show them the object. It's a carrot. I'm cutting the carrot, cut, 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 you know, and you keep things very short and sweet show items as you label them. That's a really good way for your child to build their receptive language and connect the actual word to the meaning. Okay. So I want to ask, do you guys find a difference between moms and dads when it comes to that kind of speaking? Because from my husband, Shane, who you guys met last time, and just other men I know, it seems to come really naturally for women where you're slowing it down. And I know there is an advantage, and we, we spoke about this last time, in doing that, not like, not necessarily baby talk, like, oh, we are widow thing, but saying proper yeah. words, but slowing it down, speaking in like different intonations and in a high voice because babies respond to that. And then, you know, not all men, so listeners don't get upset, but I do see more often men having a hard time with that and just speaking in the same tone as they would to anybody else or especially as the kid gets older, but still within that zero to three range. Do you find that with families that you work with? Or is that just my husband? No, I I think you're right with that. I mean, first of all, it is so important. um, And that that voice you're you're talking about, we call it, there's many different names, but parent ease, um, Mm -hmm. mother ease, child, infant directed speech, you could call it baby talk, basically a higher pitch, sing-songy speaking style, exaggerating speaking style. If, you know, you're looking at your baby say, I see your nose, you know, and you're really grabbing their attention, going up and down with your voice. It's a little bit more fun. And I think it definitely is probably more comfortable and natural for the mother to do. I mean, in my own, like my own household, it was the same as what you just said. Like, my husband was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are you talking like that? You know? And I'd say, you try it. And he's like, I can't do that. (laughs) Whereas my husband did that a little bit more. I think it came more naturally. And the same is true for moms. Like we've met many a moms who are like, I am not doing that. I'm sorry. It just does not feel comfortable. And we always say, you know what? You don't need to do it while other people are around. You don't need to walk through a store being like, I'm going to you know, like if I, you, you know, try it behind closed doors when you do have a baby because it can grab their attention and lead to so much more language learning. You know, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about parenting is that it's not a one size fits all. You can do things differently a hundred different ways. Look at a thousand families. Everybody's doing things differently, but their kids are all going to turn out fine. Everybody's going to turn out the same and it's going to be beautiful and they're going to develop you know, as they should or whatever, even if they don't hit milestones, it's just, it doesn't necessarily make a difference sometimes in some of those things. And I think that is really nice. You know, one of the differences that I'm going through right now with everything that's been going on. So like my youngest, Betty, she was born in 2020, right? She did not have friends. She has not been in daycare yet. She'll start in September, but like has not. She's only been around us and her grandparents. And I, 
like I'm wondering, is this, she is so far behind her sister and her sister, Lucy is like advanced when it comes to speaking. She is really good, like freakishly good. But can that have to do with her not seeing other kids and interacting with people outside of the family? I mean, I think it's so hard with COVID and pandemic stuff to kind of pinpoint it because you have that social piece, right? You have the parent dynamic where, you know, parents are working from home. So a child, you know, may not have that one-on-one time. You have the whole increase in screen time because parents are working, you have mask wearing. So if a, you know, the communication partner is covered up, then you can't see their face. So there's so many elements that may have impacted children within the pandemic years. So yeah, it's really hard to say, but definitely I think that the social piece can impact a child for sure. I mean, children thrive on that, whether it's going with other children or if it is going to classes with a parent. So I will let the listeners know, uh, a dog just came in the room. It's the cutest dog. (laughs) If you hear some panting, that's not Brooke and Bridget. (laughs) It's the puppy. That's why I was just like stumbling over my words. I'm like, what am I saying? Cooper's like breathing in my face. Well, Cooper is adorable. I have to let listeners know because they can't see him. Cooper is very cute. Thank you. Okay, so moving on, what are some major, like, if we're looking at that early intervention, zero to three, what are some major milestones that parents should keep in mind on that journey, knowing full well that things aren't like, at eight months, they need to do this, at a year and a half, they need to do this? Yeah, they're both, you know, so we look at both receptive and expressive language. So receptive being the understanding part. And that's a really big part of language development and a very important part because if a child is not understanding language, they will not be able to verbally use language. So it's very important that a child starts to understand familiar names or objects. And maybe when you mention them, they'll look in that direction. We usually start to see that as early as, gosh, like anywhere from, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months, you know, up. It's, it's so variable from child to child. It, but yeah, I mean, you see a child developing that pretty in a solid way, anywhere between, you know, six and 10 months, I would say, but also word count, you know, looking at the number of words a child says, that's always a big one, but it's not the only one. We always tell parents, you know, don't over-focus on that. It's a good indicator to kind of like keep things in track, but there are so many other milestones in the receptive and expressive language realms. Um, But as for word count, you know, it's like at 12 months saying a few words, at 18 months saying at least 10, but we always say, say between like 10 and 50. And then around two years old, like anywhere between 50 and gosh, it can be like a few hundred, but a big one for two years old is combining two words together. We like see little ones starting to say like more milk or buy mom or just kind of starting to take two words and combine them together. That's at 24 months. And what counts as a word? Like do animal noises count as a word? Is it, does it count as a word if it sounds nothing like, you know, if you saw my kid and she said help, but you were like, what the hell is she saying? But that that's what she was saying. And I could recognize that. Does that count? 
Yeah, it sure does. So a, you can count it as a word if it is used consistently, independently, and intentionally by your child. So it doesn't, and, and it does not have to sound like the word. So many children will have these speech sound errors, which are very common as a child is developing language. And, you know, you might have a kid that says, duh, for ball consistently, mm-hmm. but that counts because they are calling ball something and they have a name for it. They have a label for it. Mm-hmm. So that sure does count. Also, yes, animal sounds count, um, exclamatory words or sounds like, uh oh, or, you know, boom whoa, or whoa. Okay. Yeah. Things like that. Those all count. And signs count too. I was going to ask about that. Okay. Yeah. Cause so Betty, like she does like signs like this, like when she wants more snacks or if she needs something, she, no, wait, what is it? This one, her grandma knows these better because she uses signs with her more often. This is that she wants something or wants help. And then she does this when she wants more of something or milk, typically. Yeah. That's good to know that they count. They sure do. And that's why we say, you know, use either, you know, you can use signs if you'd like, but you can also use gestures. You know, if, you know, whenever I say the word up, when I was teaching my little ones or if I'm working with a client, like I'm, I'm pointing up up, right? And pushing my hand in that upward motion down and pushing, pointing and pushing my finger down. It helps for it to click for the little one. And then they might start using that gesture. And they do say research shows that children who use gestures earlier on um, have more advanced language skills later on. So I see you guys talk with your hands a lot. I do too. I'm like a massive hand talker and it's not great for podcasting because I'm hitting my mic all the time, (laughs) especially when it's just Shane and I, and we're really getting into it. Like I'm knocking this thing over every two seconds, but (laughs) it is, I, I, I know you guys have done posts before on, and like, such a great follow, right? Cause again, getting that information quickly in that Instagram sized, you know, amount, but the importance of gestures. And that's how I learned, okay, like nothing wrong with my big hand movements. I'm going to keep this, but that's good. Great. We encourage it. We We encourage it. I think we do it probably too much, but that's that's Cooper guys. That's sneezy little Cooper. Cooper has a sneezing problem. Yeah. Well, that's a very cute problem for a cute dog like that to have. (laughs) He's like a cartoon. Now, you mentioned word counts. And even, oh my gosh, even when you were saying that, I started to panic a little bit. So when did you say it was up to 50 words? At what point? Around 24 months. That's what we like to say. Uh, or what like we what we like to see. Recently, the CDC did change their guidelines. So we have like the Mayo Clinic, a lot of speech-language pathologists and the tools and measures that we use stayed with those kind of older older uh, milestone ranges. But the CDC did move that for 50 words to 30 months. But they after the pandemic, but they still want children combining words together at mm-hmm. 24 months. Okay. So very interesting because it's kind of like hmm, most children are not combining words together until they have 50 words. So it's a bit misleading and tricky. Well, that is tough because what if you don't have words that combine? Like you have ball and you have milk. You're not going to combine those two, right? Exactly. Um, So this is where I kind of want to start the case study with Betty. So she is 22 months. She'll be two in July. She's 22 months right now. 
I've my mom compiled the list the other day when she was babysitting of words that she said that day. And there were 50 words that she said that day. And including two signs. So 48 words, two signs. And I added a couple. I don't know that there's that many. Maybe there's between 50 and 70 words. Whereas her sister, honestly, by this age, had like by 22 months, she had a couple hundred. Like I remember on her birthday, her second birthday, she shares it with my husband. And I brought her what did I bring her? It was cream cheese. I brought her something for breakfast and had cream cheese on it. And we have a video and she's going, Ooh, it's cream cheese. Happy birthday, daddy. Like as a two-year-old and it was phenomenal. And it was the cutest thing I've ever heard. And Betty just started combining words two weeks ago. Okay. Okay. Great. Just like two word sentences. Like she said, Hi, mom, when I came – or hi, mommy, when I came home from school one day and I was floored because I've been trying to get her to do this. I was floored. But is this – is this timeline okay? Is that word count okay by, I guess, the standards that you guys used to follow before the CDC changed it? Yeah, and we still kind of follow those old guidelines mm-hmm. um, just because it's in line with the assessments and tools that we use to assess and diagnose children. But – you said that Betty is 22 months, mm-hmm. she, you know, and she still actually has a couple months before that 24 month mark, right? And I think it's really important for parents to understand that two months might seem like, oh my gosh, that's just eight weeks. That's so soon. But literally, so much can happen in two months' time. It really can. So um, that's the first thing I would want to say. Secondly, she's meeting the milestone when it comes to word count. So we look at them to combine the two words together and to be seeing a minimum of 50 words at 24 months. So probably by 24 months, she'll be exceeding that milestone. It's all about and, you know, we always say for parents, like if if you are concerned um, but your child, it looks like they're going to hit the milestone, but you want to be proactive. We're like, go for it. That's that's our whole jam. That's why we do what we do, because we do believe that in two months time, so much can happen and a child can really be supported during those daily routines and have a total language explosion when they're exposed and listening to the the right words and hearing the right words repeated over and over again and kind of all of those evidence-based strategies and tips and tricks, um, it can really help. So what strategies, like what would you use if Betty was your kid? Kid, Like she's she's sweet, she's adorable, but sh- there's so many, like she struggles with not having the words. And I can see, and like when I, you know, put her to bed every night, I'll be nursing her. And then she points to my mouth and she wants me to sing, right? So I've been saying, oh, you have to say it. If you want me to sing, you have to say it. I say, sing, sing. And then she started working on the S sound. So she's going, but then that's all she does. So she points at my mouth and says, and I don't know how to, we've been at that stage for a month now. Yeah. And I don't know how to take it to the next step. So if Betty was your child, she seems kind of like scared almost to try new words. But what strategies might you use in that situation? And I'm asking this selfishly. (laughs) Well, I mean, first of all, S is a later developing sound. So the fact that she's even trying to say it and is amazing. And I would praise that. I would, I would count that, you know, that is her, her way of, of saying it right now. You just in that example that you gave, you know, just keep going with it. Like 
every night, keep doing the same thing. You want, you want me to sing? <gasps> okay. You know, point to your ear, let me hear it, you know, and then get her. And then in time, you're going to repeat that word after her. You're going to model it. You want to really exaggerate it. You're going to say, sing, you know. Let her look at your mouth too. That's a big thing is, is positioning when you're talking with your child. I think we're so busy as parents nowadays that we're moving and we're fast and, you know, we're always in a rush. And I think taking those moments, if you can, of course, because obviously every moment is, or every, you know, day is not going to allow this, but getting face to face with your child and, you know, saying, okay, let's put your shoes on and hold that shoe right near your face and say, shoe shoe and right. So you're saying the word, you're holding the object, you're directing attention to your mouth, you're repeating the word. And then we always tell parents, you know, after you repeat that word, try to put it into a short phrase or sentence. So we we talk all about in our toddler course, which we totally are going to send to you after this. Um, (laughs) Yes. And we talk about getting your child up the language ladder. And one way to do that is by modeling and showing these words repeating them, but then modeling the next step on the language ladder. So you might say, shoe, shoe, shoe on, shoe on. Let's put your shoe on. And then you're doing it all in real time. And then if you look at that whole situation, you're like, whoa, how many times did I just say the word shoe there? Well, you probably said it like seven times. So it's, that's a great strategy. And that's just, you know, one of, of many that can really help. No, and I want to highlight this since we're on that and highlight it um, for my husband who's working somewhere back there and taking care of the kids because this is something that I didn't didn't realize either because with Lucy, since she was so advanced, it – we didn't really need to focus on that because we'd say a full sentence to her. She'd have total understanding and – she had no fear in trying to say all those words and it came to her very quickly. But with Betty, it's different. So the strategy of just saying normal sentences as we would with anybody else clearly isn't working very well. It's just clearly not, right? So I know we need to change our strategy so that, you know, just to support her and how she develops. And like, she's understanding, When you speak to her and just say, okay, Betty, we're going to put your shoes on. Then we're going to go for a walk around the block, get some ice cream, come back, go home, have dinner and go to bed. And I mean, I I, see it the hands. Is it it making her like fearful of trying words because she thinks that talking has to be so quick? It could. I mean, it might be a little overwhelming to her, but again, the fact that she's picking it up and she's able to follow what you're saying and follow the direction, that is all great. But I think it probably would be helpful to try and simplify your language when you can. And then also one other strategy that is so, so, so important, especially for little ones like her who are maybe like a little more timid, you definitely want to give her some wait time, right? So you want to slow down. And if you're asking her a question or trying to get her to repeat a word, like give her a minute, like give her maybe not a minute, a minute's a long time, but (laughs) give her five to 10 seconds, five to 10 seconds before you try it again, you know, because when we are desperate for our little ones to talk, the more we, we talk more. We actually, and we, we put the pressure on them without knowing or realizing it. And that can make it, that can make them really pull back and not want to 
to talk as much. We always say that the goal is to minimize talking pressure. So when we put talking pressure on our little ones, and I think this is so natural for many parents, like we want our kids to talk so bad. We're like, say mama, say mama, you know, but that for some kids can deter them from talking. So instead we just tell parents like repeat the word in a fun way, but one way to work on the wait time, you know, obviously you can ask the question, like, what does the horse say? And like, did you see how long that felt? Like that felt really long. And that was probably only five seconds. I barely, I think it was like three. That pause felt like a long time. So you can do it with questions, right? But another way, a really good tip is one of our strategies from our talk on track course, which is our our course for younger parents, for younger babies, uh, is to get them to fill in the blank. And we can do this with familiar books or familiar songs or familiar phrases. So one book, I don't know if you guys have the book, like Dear Zoo. Do you know that book? I don't know. We don't have it. So that it's a cute little flat book and they go to the zoo when they get a pet and each page you say, and I didn't want the elephant. So I sent him back and you can shut the door on the elephant. And it says, and I got the monkey and I sent him back and kids love it because you get to slam the door and yell the word back. And most children, because the word back is a very simple word, it's a, you know, consonant vowel consonant word. doesn't have a lot of sounds. They're really developing. Um, A lot of times kids are just motivated to fill it in. So you can say, I went to the zoo and I didn't want the elephant. So I sent him and then you're like waiting and you're holding the book and you're leaning in and your little, your little one's probably going to be like, you know, and they want to do it, or at least they'll hit the door and you're like, back. Yay. You're right. You hit the door. So that's a good way to start. Another way is with songs like ring around the rosy, let's just say. And then at the end you say, we all fall down, you know, and you can wait before you say down, you sing that song a million times with your kid. And then you're like, we all fall. And you're pointing You're not saying anything. And your little one's going to either fall down or they're going to say, da. Um, it's just kind of motivating for them. And then phrases, yeah, just familiar phrases. Like every time you open a door, say, open the door and you're going to say it, you know, initially. And then you, then you leave that last word off, open the, and then they say door, you know, and then you can go open and then they'll go the door and they fill in the two word, you know, Uh so a really good strategy. it's kind of like tricking them into talking and it works no that's i that sounds perfect that sounds perfect because then it's like they're doing the work and they don't even realize it but you mentioned talking pressure what does that look like because i'm thinking there are probably parents listening to this and they are thinking oh my gosh is what i'm doing talking pressure maybe it is and you know just knowing that i can remedy that so what does that look like so okay i'll say that typically there are two types of children or toddlers, babies, those that are imitators and those that are not. So the ones that are imitators, you could tell them to say every word out there and they will repeat you, right? They just, they want to be a parrot. That's very natural to them. They don't feel pressure at all. But then you have the other half of children who aren't repeaters. They're naturally, they're not just going to repeat you. And for those children, when you're constantly saying, say mama, say ball, say this, say that, say dog, you know, they're like, whoa, too much. This does not come naturally or easily to me, or I just 
don't really feel like doing this. And then the pressure will make them retract and pull back even more. So that is one way that there could be talking pressure. Mm -hmm. Another way is like when we're, let's say we're sitting down to play with our kids and, you know, I always, my little one will go and gravitate toward, I don't know, let's say the kitchen, but let's say I'm in the mood to do stacking blocks and I go over and I'm stacking the blocks and I'm like, look, look over here, up, 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 look over here. And she's cooking at the kitchen. She's like, I don't want to do that. I picked the kitchen and mom, you're kind of being annoying right now. You know, (laughs) in her head, that's probably what she's thinking. That's not like a good place to put pressure on them. Like they're probably not going to want to say the word up right there. The best thing to do is to kind of go with them, let them lead the way, follow their lead and incorporate language into an activity that they're uh, of their choice. All right, Brooke and Bridget, we are going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by True Earth. If you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I have been championing True Earth for almost a year now. Yeah, I think we can safely say we are the champions. We are the champions because we've been using them and it's been a huge way in which we have been reducing our environmental footprint. And we will keep on fighting till the end. All right. That's the we are I the know. champions. Huh? Well, I was, you know, All I just right. I just <laughs> I don't I feel like you didn't know that. No, I did. I was going to call you Freddie Mercury, but then I forgot his name. But one way we're doing this Freddie is through, of course, eliminating single-use plastics in our household and See ya. We were not only using way too many uh, plastic bags, but we were using way too many bottles of things, bottles of detergent, a fabric softener, everything. And our laundry room was kind of like a detergent bottle graveyard. But since using True Earth, our laundry room has gone through a bit of a makeover. It's amazing. It's like Taj Mahal in there. It is because the detergent itself comes in these strips. They're pre-measured, they're soluble, and you just simply rip them apart. Fun to rip. Toss them in the machine. Ripping and a tearing. Makes your clothes clean, smell amazing. And then because there's these little papery looking strips, they come in a tiny little box. It's flat. You can just hide it in your laundry room somewhere and it's out of the way. Your shelves are now free for other things. You could say we're flat true earthers. I like it. There is no plastic packaging attached to this product, and it really has changed the look of our laundry room. Plus, as a family with kids who have very sensitive skin, we usually go for the baby detergent because it's fragrance-free, it's gentle on everybody's skin, and it's still so tough on dirt. However, True Earth came out with a new scent, Lilac Breeze, which Shane is obsessed with. And it smells great (laughs) and everything really does just come out beautifully. So go and check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order, your subscription, whatever it is you're getting. You're going to love this product. Take my word for it. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. And now let's get back to our interview. And if I'm putting on like a thing of tools, if I'm putting on you know, background music or something, or if, you know, I need to get dinner cooked, so I put on a show. Are there, is there anything when it comes to technology like that, that you guys would recommend because it, maybe it's more active, it it requires more active listening? Because honestly, those, these times happen once a day, at least when I need to throw something on to keep her occupied so I can get something done. Sure. So what is like best case scenario for speech development? 
So funny you ask, because we are preparing right now for a a workshop that we're hosting called Solving Screen Time Struggles. Mm, (laughs) I like it. It's all about, you know, just kind of a better approach to screen time being that it is in a way, you know, you can't avoid it Mm -hmm. or most people, many people can't avoid it. It's hard to avoid. It's hard to avoid. Um, But I think that like screen time is guilt time for most parents. Like even if you do use screen time, it's guilt time. So how can you use screen time intentionally and in a mindful way with your child? How can you use screen time and still, you know, have the intention of of building your child's language or supporting their language development? And um, there are ways to do that. I mean, of course, like you said, like putting on music, like, you know, little baby bum or something like that. If you're just doing that, obviously something like that is going to be better and like letting them have independent play. If a child will, that's great. Go for it. But if a child is going to have that screen time there, we always say there's certain screens that are better than others. So we say the bigger, the better, you know, TV on the wall, a larger TV on the wall is much bigger than a handheld device. Right. 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 Like rather than giving them your phone or iPad every day, like it's better to just turn a, a, TV show on that's, you know, a mounted TV. And then you mentioned active viewing. So you're right about that. So something that gets them involved, gets them thinking. Um, One of the big things with children under, let's say, three years old, even, uh, we talk a lot about co-viewing with them, which defeats the purpose of you trying to make dinner or, you know, empty the dishwasher or whatever. I need to right? kick my feet right. up sometimes too. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so what we what we say is that maybe those first few times you're watching a particular show, you are going to watch it with your child. And so those shows, typically the shows that are high quality are pretty repetitive and um, follow a similar like structure each time. So for example, uh, is Mickey Mouse Clubhouse even on anymore? No, no I'm it's totally- on Disney, but Blue's Clues, I think. It, you do the same thing every every show. Exactly. Yes. So where they ask questions, you have to, can you find the, right? So sit and watch that with your little one. Maybe, I don't know, however many times it takes till you feel like they kind of understand and maybe they can start to interact with the show on their own. And then after that fourth or fifth time of watching it with them, then take that time to go do what you need to do. Um, and, and they'll be more inclined to interact with the show on their own because they'll know what to expect. So that's okay. called co-viewing. And that's a big. Yeah. And the a- other thing with co-viewing, too, is, you know, my little one, Stella, she's three now, but she when she was two, she loved Peppa. So we would, you know, watch a Peppa show together. And then she had all the characters and the Peppa houses. And we would take like watch an episode. And then later that day or even the next day or whenever that week, I would say, okay, let's pretend like, you know, daddy pig lost his glasses. And we would literally act the episode out. And it's so helpful because as a parent, sometimes many parents sit down and they're like, I don't know what to pretend play. Like I haven't pretend played in like 35 years. So it's very helpful because it gives you ideas of things that you can do with your child's favorite characters. And then you can generalize that even into your everyday life. You can be like, 
I lost my glasses because I do lose my glasses all the time. <laughs> um, you know, like bring it into your own life and say like, oh, silly mommy, I'm just like daddy pig. Right. Where could they be? Let's go looking for them. Like you can bridge the gap and make a program actually generalize into real life and language learning and all of that. No, I love the idea that it can also be a script for pretend play because like terrible at it, right? And it, so many of my friends are terrible at it, but I love using that as the script. I think that is such a good idea and such a good way to yeah, like make connections, right? Yep. And then yep. again, that's repetition. That's everything we're kind of talking about. One more thing I want to hit on is communication frustration. So can you describe that in a better way than I can? And how do we deal with it? Because I get it with both kids, honestly, with Betty, I get it when she wants something or when she's upset and she doesn't have the words, obviously, and she just starts like flipping out. She will have such a tantrum and it really takes a toll on her. It really does because she'll go from happy to mildly irritated and then she just can't even remember what she wanted in the first place. So that's hard to deal with. And then with Lucy, who's four, she gets communication frustration in the sense that like she'll stammer Mm. or not say a word correctly. And then, you know, when she's stammering or thinking about what she wants to say, if you – and we're doing this wrong too. Like if you butt in a little bit or encourage her, she loses it. Or if she can't get it out, she really gets upset. So – what is it and how can we help our kids through that? So it, communication frustration is is number one, very common, but really it is just frustration that children feel around communication for whatever reason it might be. Most of the time it's because they are unable to communicate their wants and needs. And for a variety of different reasons, maybe they don't have the words, maybe they, you know, a lot of times it's around articulation. So they might trying to say the words, but no one understands them that we see that a lot too. Or our nonverbal kiddos. Exactly. Or like you said, with the stammering or stuttering, sometimes kiddos at certain ages, it's developmentally appropriate and it happens a lot. And they just have so much they want to say that they can't, they get, they kind of trip up on their words and they can't get it out. They get stuck in a way. Um, So yes, all of those situations will lead to, or can lead to communication frustration. And, you know, it's kind of like for each one, you kind of have to take a different approach. I mean, for with the stuttering or the stammering, the best thing to do in that situation is to slow down. And especially you as a parent, I mean, each child is a little bit different, but if your child Some kids want the help and you can help them out and give them some of the words. Um, But other kids are like, get mad at that. And they're like, no, no, no. You know, and and in that case, you can just remind them like, it's okay. Let's try that again. Let's slow down. You know, try it again. That kind of a thing. Um, And then with our little ones where if they are late to talk or just like not finding the words, even if they do have words, like you mentioned, you know, Betty has words, but she she may not be used to using the words to help her get through these situations, right? That's exactly it. That's a pattern that we see with a lot of children. Like they just resort to a tantrum because they, it's in a way, 
it's a learned behavior. And so it's really important to get down on her level and give her the words for how she's feeling or give her the words for what she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, we always say, say it like they would if they could. Right. And have her show you. And then, you know, if you don't know what she wants, which is often an issue, we say, like, show me, you know, can you show me? You could pick her up, have her guide you to it. Um, You could give a choice. Like, if you think maybe she wants something that, you know, you could show her options. Or sometimes we really just don't know, right? I mean, we really just don't know. And in that case, the best thing to do is just be honest and say, you know what? I don't know what you want right now. I don't know what you want, but, 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 but let's, let's try this and we could come back to that later. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Gently Re- redirect. redirect. Right. Yeah. And that happened what, a half hour before this interview where Betty was flipping out. She was really losing. Cause she was trying to, she's trying to tell me something and I had given her dinner. She ate some of it, but then wanted something with her dinner. So I was like, okay, show me, show me. So we're in the kitchen. She's pointing at everything. I'm picking up the peanut butter, picking up the pouches, picking up the pears. And I'm like, this, this, this. She's like, no, no. And then she points back to the living room. And then we lay down. She's like, nook. And that's for milk. And I was like, okay. Like, that's not what she wanted initially. But we both ended up in tears. And I think we were both happy to just be laying down on the couch after nursing. Because it gets stressful. It's, It's hard, I think obviously for the kid, but as a parent, it is so hard because you want to help them. Of course. It's very hard. And, you know, she's about to turn two. So part of it is like developmentally, you're entering that zone of like, sometimes they just don't know what they want, (laughs) but it's not what you're giving them. Right. 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 And the whole other thing. So you put the the communication and that together and it's like, ah, no, yeah. it's, it's a mess. And that's why I was saying, you know, we opened this kind of talking about the the COVID experience that we've been going through. That was really hard for us and for Betty because, again, she couldn't tell me in what way she felt bad. So I could only gauge based on like she had a crazy snotty nose. So I'm like, oh, she's having, you know, difficulty breathing in part because that in part pro- probably because of COVID. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming she has headaches because she's grabbing her head, but she can't tell me and it makes it hard to treat symptoms if you can't see them, like if it's not an obvious stuffy nose, right? So that, that gets hard. And I'm like, I cannot wait for her to start talking more, guys. It's so So difficult. In that situation too, what I would say is like, when you have an idea of how she's feeling like for that, you know, you know, her nose mm-hmm. is bothering her because it's stuffy and you can see that it's, she's congested. You want to tell her your nose is so stuffy. It's not fun to have a stuffy nose. And then the next time, like she's going to remember that, you know, that, that starts mm-hmm. to stick. Like the next time she's sick. I mean, yeah. I don't know that or she'll say it just like that. Like your that. nose hurts. It yeah. Hurt. Your, you know, head your head hurts. Ow. So you're, you're teaching her what it is she's feeling. You're giving her the words and she will learn them. She will. Over time, that is how they learn. So just think of that in any situation, really. I mean, mm-hmm. you are, you're teaching her, you're attaching meaning to whatever feeling or whatever object she has or, you know, in all these different situations. And that is how she learns language. And eventually how she'll, the, the verbalizations will come from that too. 
Mm-hmm. So running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to figure things out and throwing medication out of the cupboard and whatnot is not helping. I need to reframe. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. We've all been there. It's yes. like we give this advice, but I'm I'm often like, I don't even know if I took this advice. Right. <laughs> no, I have to listen to my own advice. Yeah. No, that's right. and that that's how it is. Like I speak to an expert, you know, every week on parenting. And it's like I've learned so, so much. But then it's just reminding yourself in that time and in that place. And that is, I think, the hardest part of parenting is to like it's, you know, go out there. It's easy to go out there, take a course, do whatever, and get the advice, but then implementing it when you're losing your cool. Yeah. is where it really gets tricky. But speaking of courses and good advice, ladies, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing with me and for sitting down with me again. But where can listeners go to follow you on social media, go to your website, buy your courses? So on Instagram, we are Speech Sisters and we have a website, speechsisters.com. Uh, we have two courses, one for parents of babies, and that's called Talk on Track. It's good for zero to 14 months. And then we have a toddler course called the Time to Talk Toddler Course, and that is good for children 15 to 36 months. So we have those two courses. We have a master class actually that we host two times a year for parents who want more hand holding, more intimate. That's awesome. Um, a more intimate approach um, where we meet over the course of like two months live with parents. Um, So that has been unbelievably amazing um, for so many parents who just need that extra support. We'll host that in the fall. And then um, what else? Our screen time. So that's coming up. So exciting. Yeah. It's very exciting. That's awesome. But congratulations with everything that is going on and and the new course screen time that you guys are working on or is is it it's a course or it's a it's like a live workshop awesome we do it yeah Yeah. we do it live and we just do it twice a year yeah that's amazing but guys thank you so much Brooke and Bridget I really appreciate it and I will try to not only internalize this advice but bring it forward in my stressed out moments Oh, thank you for having <laughs> you. Anytime. Thank you. You got it. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Truly, thank you. Take care, guys. Bye. Okay, you too. Oh, we'll send you over the course oh, too. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, would love that. Yeah. And give yeah. Cooper a nice pet for me. Oh, we oh, will. I got him out, but now he's working out I there. Love yeah. that I think the course will be super helpful. I Let us too. know, I and will. if you use it and you love it, we can like do a live together. That would be yeah. so fun. I'm yeah. t- like even totally in for that. That would be great. Okay. Okay. We'll awesome. send it over awesome. like yeah. right now. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye. See ya. Bye. Oh, good one. Good interview. Thank you, Shade. I miss you on these things. Anyway, they missed you on this one. Yeah, I bet they did. Our returning guests who know what it's like to sit down with you and chat, parenting, relationships, whatever, they always ask about you. And then it makes yeah. me feel like crap. Yeah, I know. Sometimes I so just to, I have low self-esteem. So sometimes I watch the beginning of the interviews <laughs> and the panic and fear in the guests. And they go, but, but where, where's Shane? It's just Alex. Oh, he's not here today. Yeah, you make up an excuse. But mm-hmm. it's much better with you at the helm for I, our listeners. I disagree. But anyway, Shane, let's get to our question segment. Okay. Mailbag segment. Mailbag. You get it. Listeners submit questions. Alex answers them. I have some wise cracks. All right, we got a, we got a good mix up of questions this week. We're gonna start off with a philosophical one. Mm. This is from someone who's not a parent yet, a listener. They want to know what it's like being a parent, and I say it's like 
a weird prison that you mostly love. I'd say there's like once a week, right? Like I love being a parent. I love being a mom. It's It makes my life so enjoyable. But once a week, something will happen. Like I'm trying to, it usually actually happens either at bedtime or in the morning. And I'll be trying to put the kids to bed. They're not going to bed. And I'm going up. It's like two hours after bedtime. I'm still going up to see Lucy. And then it dawns on me like midway up the stairs and I just stop and I'm like, oh my God, I can't just run away from the super annoying thing. I can't just say I'm not going to deal with it. I can't just say no to it like I can say to any other thing, literally any other thing, including work, anything in my life, because this is your child. This is a living being and you can't run away. It it dawns on me and it kind of freaks me out. And then I sit and think about it for a second and then it kind of washes over. And then it's like the enjoyable part of the prison again. Yeah, it's hard to describe. It's a very... If you're a narcissist, you'll like it a lot because it's very, everything is, things are all about you all of a sudden. It's like, she's so much like you and this, and it's an excuse for people to talk about you a lot and for you to talk about yourself. But like the other day when we were at that Sacred Heart event, you were just like, Lucy is so good talking. She's like the best ever and she's gifted and all this. And I was thinking, wow, I I don't know if I, I like, I agree, but I, I feel like my kids are such an attachment on me. I hesitate to brag about them I was, because I'm more, uh, that's not criticism of you. No. I'm just saying, because I feel like I created them so much that I feel like even bragging about them is narcissistic. Cause I'm like, they're mine. Okay. I have to clarify for listeners because it's not like I was bragging about my kids to the church. And there's people. nothing wrong with that, by the way. I know, but I wasn't. I was bragging to my cousin slash bestie who brought it up first. And I was agreeing and okay. adding. Yeah. Just saying that I'm not like walking around the church being like, my kids are smart. And there'd be nothing wrong if you did. All I'm saying, <laughs> people are asking what it's like who don't have kids. It's just like these extensions of yourself that you're always thinking, I did that. Wow, this is mind blowing. I can't believe I did that. That's me. Oh, I do that. Oh, that looks like Alex. It's it's your love too. Is It's like the love that you have or had with your partners walking around. And it's... Neat. Yeah. Cool. It's really cool. I'd say the cool aspect of it too is huge because it's like so many times in a day, even if I go from like being really frustrated, right? And thinking about like the prison aspect halfway up the stairs, I get in the room and then like Lucy will make herself burp and then tell a potty humor joke. And then I'm like, she's doing that. She's coming up with poo poo and burp jokes on her own. Like that's hilarious. And it's just something cool and fun will happen. And I'll just be so overwhelmed by that sense of like, man, this is just mm-hmm. hilarious and funny. And I'm so proud every single, like a hundred times in the day, there's something for me to be proud of. It's like little shots of dopamine throughout the day. And it's like a protective measure for always having love around. So the idea is usually like your parents will die before you. So sometimes I'd be like, oh, my parents died. Who's going to love me? And then it's like, what, what if you die? You know, then like, let's say I outlive you. Then it would be like, who's going to love me? And then it's like, oh, I created these things that can love me. What if they don't love you? 
You you hope they will. It's just a safety net of thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if they hate me deep down, they might love me. I think I think deep down, like if they were ever to write a memoir, mm-hmm. it's rare that you see a memoir where somebody's like, I didn't have a good relationship with this person and I really hate them. You know, yeah. if you're reading like a famous person's memoir, it's like, I didn't have a great relationship with my dad, but he seemed like a swell dude or something. Yeah, that seems like a total cliche thing that happens all the time. <laughs> Seems like a swell dude. What okay. are you reading? The greatest literary work of our time. <laughs> Victor Hugo's. All right. Next question. How much PDA is too much PDA? Courtney and Travis are always getting called out for it. So, like, I haven't been keeping up that much. So I was digging into it and, like, looking for, like, Courtney and Travis PDA videos. And I guess the Kardashians have come out again right oh, it's on, on disney, disney. we could watch that tonight we could that would be fun i've never seen an episode yeah you'd like it i think you're ready for it now you're not as snobbish towards have you things. seen it no but i mean reality sh- programming mm-hmm. when i first met you you were very snobbish yes i didn't want to go near it but yeah now i'm in i'm in i need to fry my brain cells at night i yeah. it's the only way uh so there's a part on an episode And Courtney and Travis are looking for a house in L.A. Like they're looking at mansions to buy together. And then they start getting like hot and heavy right in front of the real estate agent. And they're like she's straddling them. They're all over each other. And then the real estate agent is just kind of like hovering awkwardly. It's a TV show, Alex. Just saying. Just saying. Okay. They are reality TV experts. And you've been sucked into the world of fake TV PDA drama? Well, I haven't even watched an episode, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if we're measuring what is too much PDA, I say if you're making somebody feel that uncomfortable, if it is just the time and the place, like you're viewing a house, maybe not there, but are you at a bar or having a romantic dinner, then I say PDA it up. To me, it's not even what they're doing. It's what stage in the relationship they're doing it. So if someone's in the first flush of the relationship, which depending how often they see each other, I would say is between three months to a year in, mm-hmm. I'll let people get away with anything, humping each other, making <laughs> out, earlobe nibbling, anything. If they're two to 20 years into the relationship and they're still pulling it off, like it's they're showing off, they're trying to rub it in your face they're they're covering up an unhappy relationship or something then it just reads false but i don't mind pda if it's in that first flush but what if they are feeling it and it's been 11 years say and you're feeling it what if they're out does it make a difference if you're out at a like partying if past it up? the first flush yeah a little bit like i don't know if your parents were just making out at a party I would think this is showmanship. They're doing this for some performative reason. (laughs) What if they were just drunk and hot for each other? I think you just learn to control that stuff. Because when you're first in a relationship, you're just desperate for any affection. And you know you can't get that deep love. So you're looking for that surface stuff. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Once you get deep into the love, you don't need all that. Mm -hmm. You have a different connection. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's, I was getting so ready to disagree with you really hard. And I was like really trying to think of all the ways that I disagree with you. But that was a really good point. Yeah, it was. (laughs) So is there ever a time when you were just involved in too much PDA in your life? Yeah, I went to, this is again, I'm I'm young. I'm in the first flush of a relationship. 
we're at a water park and I'm just making out with her in line. There's kids around. She kids? And a, 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 I got I got so into the make out, a woman's like, excuse me, could you stop shoving your tongue down in this? <laughs> I'm like, and then I get all high and mighty and weird. I'm like, excuse me, ma'am. We're in love. And I give You this, did not say I, that. Yeah. I give a speech. I'm like, these kids need to see love. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm being ridiculous. I'm I hate myself. Like I'm embarrassed. It's it's something I cringe about thinking. Like so many things in my life I cringe about. Wait, how old were you? I want to get a good picture. Twenty-three. <laughs> just an idiot. So I'm an idiot. You were the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed kid we were talking about off the top of this episode. Yeah, I read a good uh, thing online that kind of sums up the way I always feel, and this it reminded me of you. I'm gonna try to see if I can get it. it's a screenshot. It said, there's no one I have less in common with than the me who wrote my Facebook statuses circa 2008. Oh, my God. And it's just, that's the way I feel about my entire 20s, yeah. my early 30s. Only in the last month do I feel somewhat normal. Oh, I am so embarrassed anytime I see a Facebook status. It is just, I relive a moment, even if I don't remember the moment that I wrote it in. I just relive it all over, and it's humiliating they're the worst oh 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 now i'm just sitting here cringing okay i used to actually when it comes to pda i used to even hate um holding hands oh me too. i never liked holding hands until i was with you like even with long-term boyfriends i wouldn't hold their hands in public and i hated it mm. it was my very first boyfriend ever that i would hold his hand but we were like I get too sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> see, I like see when we were like fifteen. It made it was just like it was cute, right? Mm-hmm. But with you, I love holding your hand. And with anybody else, everybody else in between, I, I've just despised it. Absolutely hate it. Yeah, it's it's funny. There's a hand chemistry out there. Mm-hmm. There's some people my hand cannot gel with, like relationship people, mm-hmm. and then some that they could. And it had nothing to do with how much I liked the person. You'd think it would, but it wasn't. Do you like holding my hand? Yes. We, we, have good we hand, always have. We have good hand chemistry. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Next question. Social media detox. Do you ever do it? And do you have any tips? No. So what well, we used to. Sorry. We used to. Do you remember? So on Sundays, it wasn't just social media. It was phones in general. But a while ago, before Betty... Every Sunday, Shane and I would put both of our cell phones on a really high shelf in the in the playroom, and we would have like two designated times where we can go and check on our phones before Lucy was asleep. And I loved that. It was hard, I think, like the first one or two times. But after that, I found that I was like craving it as the week would go on and like start going to Sunday, and I was craving that cell phoneless day. Yeah, uh, I think what ruined it was the pandemic, and then we got really yeah. into social media, and everything started taking off in mm-hmm. the best way for us. So it became our job in a way. So that stopped. But yeah, I do find that, especially with my iWatch, I always have it on my wrist. The iWatch, I'm calling it iWatch. It's called Apple Watch. <laughs> You'd think it'd be called iWatch, but no, it's Apple Watch. It it keeps me a little bit further away from my phone, but my I, I don't miss any messages, but then I don't need to check social media as much with the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I was checking my Instagram all the time or, you, or if I checked a text, I'd swing by Instagram also. 
So I am obsessed with social media in a bad way. I get those notifications that say, you're down 30% from last week. You only looked at your phone for six hours and 54 minutes. I'm like, that's down because we were on vacation. And uh, yeah, I, I have very few moments in my day where there's not something stimulating me. No. At night, there's a podcast I listen to, too, so I can drift off. But in my waking hours, I'm always being stimulated by something. It's awful. Yeah. So I, I was looking it up because you and I haven't done anything for a while. And there were some good tips. And I I mean, I would love to start implementing some of these. I don't know how at this moment, but I want to. The first thing is simple. Just delete apps. And I've done this before. During the pandemic and when Trump was in and everything, I was getting so frustrated by everybody on Facebook that I just, I couldn't do it because every time I opened it, instead of just being like a fun little thing while I sat and took a poop, I was just getting incensed and I was getting so angry. So I, I deleted Facebook and it was gone from my phone for like a month. It was Whoa, nice. That's so br- you deleted the one app that only people <laughs> over 50 use. I just, <laughs> I got rid of my ICQ. <laughs> My MySpace, gone. MSN, Facebook, Messenger. Yeah. Okay, so the next tip that I found online is have somebody do it with you. So have your spouse do it with you. And I think, like it was saying, or a friend or whatever, but I think if you're with a partner or if you're married, you have to do it with them. Otherwise, you're just going to get resentful of how much they're on their phone compared to you. And it's really going to stand out to you how much they're on their phone if you are putting it down and kind of going through that withdrawal. You know You're what I like mean? like that even when you do have your phone. Anytime you look at your phone is the right time. Yeah. And then that's the time everyone can look at their phone. But if you're not looking at your phone and someone else is, like me, yeah, I'm in trouble. Exactly, Shane. Yeah, you... I'm just stating what's yeah, happening. Oh, I agree. Uh, the next thing. So have zero phone hours or days gotcha. similar to what we did, which was awesome. Next, find out what apps you're using the most. Why are you using them? How do they make you feel? Find ways that your life improves when you're not using them. So like think about Instagram. Why are you always logging on Instagram? What's it doing for you? Try doing no Instagram hours from like 9 a.m. to noon. Gives you a dopamine hit. That's what it does. And then your brain gets addicted to it. Yeah, but I'm saying like, have those hours where you don't do it and then find ways that your life improves when you're not doing it. Yeah. Your dopamine hits another way, like being more present in whatever it is that you're doing. You know what I mean? Next, and I like this one, move your charging station away from you at nighttime. So like out of your arm's reach and have like a bedtime for your phone. So say, okay, 10 o'clock, phone is going to the charging station and I'm moving it away from my bed or like out of the room, get a, an actual alarm clock. What do you think of that one? Cool. <laughs> and this one is the most extreme, but I mean, people need it. You and I could probably use it, although I'm not going to do it because it's too extreme Lock for me. Box. Okay. So there's an app. It's called Freedom, which sounds like it might be like a right wing truth app, but mm-hmm. it's not. What it does, it puts limits on your phone. So you could set you know, like lock certain apps away for a certain amount of time, but then you could lock apps away with like, you can't cancel it. So it'll be like, I'm going to lock away Instagram for the next five hours. And then you press the no cancel button or whatever. And then no matter what you do, you can't open Instagram until that time is done 
from your phone. Hmm. So it's like it's it's very interesting and it really does like if you're somebody who needs a lot of help could be helpful. I like that. <laughs> okay. Next question. What's a truth about parenthood that makes you feel guilty? My friend admitted she hates going to the park. When I get home from work, I hate having to take care of kids. I just want a half hour of silence in my brain. Just a half hour. That's all I want. Just sit on my phone because I'm addicted and just have silence and be like, you know, nothing in my brain. Just be mush for a little bit. So the thing has to make you feel guilty? Yeah. Um, I, I think to, to relate it back to the phones, looking at a phone when the kids are around, mm-hmm. if Lucy wants to play with me and I'm looking at something on my phone, I'm like, oh, no, just give me a minute. That makes me feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's the worst. Phones and kids. It, I think you don't realize how much you use your phone until you have a kid who wants to play with you. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, like, you know, you do feel bad. OK, Brady Norris. Do you remember this guy? Is he a snowboarder? No. He's the guy. We were doing TikTok lives with him for a little while. Oh, okay, yeah. He's a kid who likes to chug beers on TikTok. That's his shtick. Yeah, what's he saying? So he said, still asking you to adopt me. Okay. <laughs> Real questions only from now on, Alex. Um, okay. Do you ever think that we will live in a world where women can breastfeed publicly and people won't stare and make comments? I was leaving a restaurant recently and two men were peeing in the car park. Nobody gave it a second thought or a second look or made a comment. Yet if it had been a mother breastfeeding, I'm sure they would have. Just to play devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. If a, go- a bunch of guys were peeing outside of uh, the keg, let's say. I guarantee, maybe anecdotally, one or two people might not say anything, but some people are going to say something. I would say something that's disgusting. Yeah. So, but not everyone's going to. So I think that's like breastfeeding. I think it just, it's gotten to a point where you'll get that. If you're walking through an airport, you might get one or two snide comments, Mm -hmm. but you're seeing a lot of people. So it's gotten so much better. Yeah. But I would love if it was 100%, but nothing's going to be 100%. No. Like, I think I still get called, if I'm in a certain neighborhood, sometimes the F word walking down the street. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think people are assholes. And I think people, some people like to make their opinions known, even if they're unsavory or unkind. And with the breastfeeding thing, you're right. Like, it was one person or two people, like the mother and the daughter in the airport. (laughs) But what really got to me was how many people on TikTok anonymously liked to echo that sentiment. And I would love it, you know, to be in a world where everybody could be like, oh, that person was wrong unanimously. But I mean, well, you can I think tell, we're a long ways off. You can tell they're not confident in echoing that sentiment because anyone who says a comment like that, they have no posts. Yeah. And it, it was funny. The one person who did make a comment too had a two posts and a profile picture where they were showing their chest yes, prominently. No. And their comment was telling you to cover up. And then they had a man's bare chest. No, no, this was another one. Oh, I'm thinking about the man's bare chest Mm. one. Do you remember that one? I'll never forget that man's bare chest. (laughs) He had nice pecs. He was no Shamar Moore, but... Shamar? Okay, what's your take on family drama? Do you think you should stick up for yourself versus staying quiet to keep the peace? I think it has... I don't know what your family drama is, writer in her, but I think it's all about picking your battles, and I like to keep the peace, but if it's something that... I just can't let go like about me or one of my family members that is just 
goes against my morals, then I'll say something. But I think in most instances, especially if it's like aunts, uncles, cousins, just keep the peace. Yeah, if I'm at a Thanksgiving and an uncle is telling me that vaccines cause autism, I might go, well, I don't know about that. But I'm not going to start an argument because mm. it's not juice isn't worth the squeeze in that scenario. Yeah. But if somebody's doing something more egregious and it's really in my face and I can't get out of the way of it, you have to speak up. So like you said, to answer this properly, you're really going to need to know the situation mm-hmm. and the severity and how many times it's the frequency. Frequency matters. Yeah, absolutely. If someone pokes me once, I won't say anything, but they do it 20 times. You have to speak up. And sometimes family members, especially if they're your own, can push all the right buttons because they know them so well. There's that comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And our final question for the night. Is it true that Texas has more laws restricting dildos than guns? Shane, do you think that's true or a myth? When I was in Texas, I found I could do whatever I wanted with my dildos. Oh, okay. Could you own more than six at one time? I have never tried, but I can tell you five is fine. (laughs) Well, six would be the absolute limit because it is true. I had to look this up. There are more laws restricting dildos than guns in Texas. So... Get this, okay? Here's the law. Texas, in Texas, you can carry, like we're not from the U.S., half of our listeners are from the U.S., the other half that are not, I'm going to tell you the Texas gun law. So anyone 21 years or older can carry a handgun in public without the need for a permit. So you can just be walking around with a gun without a permit and without training as long as you aren't otherwise prohibited from owning guns. So like if you're not a criminal, if you're not mm-hmm. on probation, whatever. Uh, And there are no specific laws restricting how many guns a person can own. So I can have 35 guns without a permit or a training. However, for dildos or what they term it as um, officially, they say obscene devices, you can only have six. And this law was put in place 20 years ago, and it is actually actively enforced. So there was a cop that these cops held a sting operation. Have you ever heard of a passion party, Shane? No. Okay, so they're like, I don't know, they do them in like universities and with like middle-aged moms. But they're like parties where... Oh, it's like a Tupperware party, but for dildos. Yeah, so it's like MLM with like lube and dildos. So there was a sting operation for a teacher and a mom of three who was throwing a passion party for her girlfriends and selling them dildos and lube. And then the cop busted her at the passion party. (laughs) And she was fined $4,000. Isn't that crazy? Yes. So Texas is wild, guys. It is like that's nuts. Maybe well, if they had more dildos, they wouldn't need so many guns. They'd all be happier. I don't know. It depends. On, maybe the, because everything's bigger in Texas too. So maybe the dildos are too large. Maybe they're making the men feel insecure and feel the need to carry more guns. Mm-hmm. Maybe Just there's something much. a bunch of insecure, much... tiny dick guys in Texas. Yeah, there's probably something funnier we could have said. But this, we tried our best. This is, we're not an improv troupe. We're just too you know parents trying to uh chat on a microphone so thank you so much for listening to this This family Family tree Tree Podcast, podcast episode 132